So here's the story goes. Here's how the story goes. Guy gets bit by a dog, rabid dog. Doctor says to him, you're gonna die. Say, got rabies, you're gonna die. Next time the doctor comes to visit him, he's just writing furiously. He's like writing. Doctor says, oh, I see what's going on here because you're gonna die. You're writing a letter to your family. He goes, no, I'm making a list of the people I'm gonna bite before I die. <laughs> bite. You ever meet anybody like that? They just look like they're looking around for people to bite before they die. Heinrich, Henry Kine was that way. In his biography, he wrote this. My nature is the most peaceful in the world. All I ask is for a simple cottage, a decent bed, good food, flowers in my front window, and a few trees beside my door. And then if God wanted to make me completely happy, he would let me enjoy the spectacle of six or seven of my enemies dangling from those trees. I would forgive them all the wrongs they had ever done me from the bottom of my heart, for we all must forgive our enemies, but not until they're hanged. You're like, ooh, that's not funny. You're right. You ever meet somebody that's bitter like that? They're characterized by their hurts that they've had in life or, or like worse yet have you ever been hurt and it's really hard to stop thinking about it it's really hard to stop talking about it it's really hard to make it like not the thing that kind of makes you who you are if I listed some names like raise your hand you notice my thing about raising your hand today I got this thing about raising your hand so here we go, okay. So if you recognize this name, raise your hand. Corey Tenboom, recognize that. All right, Steve Saint, Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint. Yes, of course, all of our pilots would know that. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Elliott, heard of her? Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, yeah. Maybe you haven't heard this name, but you've probably seen him. Uh, Nick uh, Vujicic, Nick Vujicic, you've seen him? Yeah, no arms, no legs. Amazing Christian speaker. Uh, no arms, no legs. Joyce Meyer. You heard of her? Joyce Meyer. Yeah. What do these people have in common? Well, Christian people, right? But that's not it. Here's what they have in common. These are people who were deeply wounded people. These are people who really suffered something great. Suffered a great hurt. These are people not only who suffered a great hurt, and they could be characterized by that hurt, they could be like res resigned to be a victim or they could be angry and bitter and dangerous, but they're not. All of these people who were so terribly hurt, um, maybe you're not too familiar with the Joyce Meyer story, horrifyingly sexually abused by her own dad. And we're kind of on the, maybe we're slightly on different sides of the theological aisle, but a lady who's helped thousands and thousands of people who have been hurt she dedicated her hurt to helping people instead of being characterized by her hurt. This Nick Vujicic goes around, amazing humor, powerful speaker, and he's helping kids. Elizabeth Elliott spent her life 
writing beautiful books. Instead of being angry that God allowed her young husband to die, she spent her life traveling, speaking, writing some of the most beautiful, some of the richest Christian devotional uh, material. I've heard her speak myself. Corey Tenboom, her stuff, if you read her, her books, is, you can still sense the spirit on them, on the spirit of God on her, because she didn't, and her, you know, she was put in a Nazi concentration camp. Her father was put there and died. Her sister was put there and died. She had every reason to be embittered, but instead of being bitter, instead of being, uh, you know, set aside like a victim, she decided that she was committed herself to the mission. Here's the deal. These people all had this in common. They were people who had a great hurt and every reason to be bitter, but instead of becoming bitter, they devoted themselves to the mission of God. Now, if you're thinking, you're probably thinking right now, how do you do that? And I want to, that's what I want to talk about today. How could a person devote themselves to something meaningful, the purposes of God in their life, when they have been so deeply wounded or hurt or mistreated or slandered or abused? How could a person ever find it in their heart to genuinely forgive and have that kind of powerful spiritual power on them and that beauty on their life? How could a person do that? I will tell you this. It is not going to be easy because it is spiritual warfare. But today I want to give you, as time allows, about five different things that over the years that I've learned from the scriptures about how to live a merciful life or, or how to forgive. I'm going to share these five things. The first one is understand the difference. You've got to understand your terms. Understand the difference between love and forgiveness and pardon and reconciliation and trust. Understand the difference between love and forgiveness and pardon and reconciliation and trust. All these things are involved. Let's walk through this just a little bit because this is something the Lord has been taking me through to have an understanding about this. So if we're believers and somebody hurts us, I'm assuming you know the Lord, somebody hurt you, somebody abused you, somebody slandered you, God allowed something really bad to get through into your life, then the, 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 uh, usually there's a person behind this. Maybe this is just God himself, but there's a person behind this. And, and, and we have to understand the difference between, say, love and trust. You ever thought, Miss, I love you, but I don't trust you yet. Is that legitimate? Yeah, yeah, because love is to be given even when a person hasn't earned our trust. And there are some people who you should love and you should forgive and you should not trust them because they are not trustworthy. They harm you in a terrible way. They may harm you again. So yes, you should love them, maybe from a distance. You should, maybe forg you should certainly forgive them. Now, what about forgiveness and pardon? I say, well, somebody's harmed me in a great way, and they've never asked my forgiveness, and they're still guilty. So I might extend forgiveness to them, almost like here it is if you want it, but if they come and take it, they haven't admitted their sin. They haven't been pardoned. They're still guilty. They still have to suffer because of their sin. It helps to understand the difference between forgiveness and pardon. In some cases, I can forgive a person I cannot pardon. If they've broken the law, broken the law of God, only God can pardon them. Maybe the state can pardon them. I can't pardon them, but I can extend forgiveness. There's a bit of subtlety. We've talked about this before. You may say, I'm going to extend forgiveness to you. I'm going to forgive you if you ever ask forgiveness. But if the person never asks forgiveness, then you don't have reconciliation you can say and christians differ about whether this is called forgiveness in other words christians differ about this 
Some will teach that Jesus said that when a person sins against you, you need to just say, I forgive you, and then they're forgiven. And others teach that what Jesus taught was you say, I forgive you. What that means is I'm prepared to forgive you. I have a disposition of forgiveness towards you. Obviously, you have to ask forgiveness to get it. Others would say, no, no, that's pardon. And so we could argue about that. But, they, but it, to me, it's very helpful to me to just see these different words. So I have a person who's harmed me. The Bible says if I'm a follower of Jesus, then I have to love them. That helps a, that helps a lot. Is what I'm saying loving? Is what I'm doing loving? And then I offer forgiveness. And he has to, she has to ask forgiveness to be pardoned from God. And reconciliation is something that both parties have to come together and work on. And trust is something that would have to be earned over a period of time. I had a, a, a family in a former church and they give me permission to talk about this. They, they were a fine family, and they, had a, they were just good folks. The parents were in the church. The boys were spread out in the community. And one day, one of the sons said to me, you know, we've got a little knot in the wood in our family. All of our families probably have this. This family did, but it was kind of difficult. And the brothers were separated, and they were hurt, and there was hurt, and there was misunderstanding, and even though they were all Christians— and so I said, well, we had this little listening exercise. If you guys ever want to go through that, we'll do it together. And the brothers joined me in my office over a period of a number of weeks and many, many hours. And we did this listening exercise where one of the fellows would say how he felt. And the other guy would listen and repeat it back. And then the other fellow would say how he felt over a number of hours. And the other brothers would listen and they would repeat it back. And they would try to isolate what it was that came between them. And toward the end of this exercise, there was a beautiful reconciliation with these brothers. And they went to different churches, but they decided what they were going to do is they were going to come back all together and go to one church one Sunday, and they were all going to take communion together. And the brothers said to me, it's so sweet to take communion together, and it's so neat to go to a family reunion and not feel the knot in my stomach and the tension because we're reconciled. And listen, within a year, one of those brothers died of a heart attack suddenly. And when I heard that, I thought, I'm so glad that these guys had reconciliation before that happened. You can't do reconciliation alone. You have to have the other person reaching out. But you can love, and you can extend forgiveness. And this is what we're talking about, and you need to understand the difference. Now, the second thing is you have to decide. I don't mean to be too sarcastic here, but you have to decide if you're really going to follow Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? If I, if I said, how many of you are followers of Jesus? You, probably most of you would say, Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And if I were to say to you, then is there anyone that's hurt you that you haven't forgiven? You might say, well, now, wait a minute. That's a different question. But now, is it a different question? Or is it the same question? Are you a believer? No, no, really. Are you really a believer? Are you really a believer? Are you really a follower? Are you really? Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, he, can I say it in a paraphrase? Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, don't expect an easy life. Don't expect health, wealth, and prosperity. May not be. May not be. Did Jesus have health, wealth, and prosperity? <laughs> None of the above. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He was crucified in his youth. His friend forsook him and fled. He said, if you're going to follow me, don't expect an easy life. Take up your cross every day. Now, this is what he meant. One of the things that he meant was people are going to hurt you. And then you're going to have to keep that from poisoning you. You're going to have to stay on mission, not become embittered, characterized by bitterness. You can suffer great hurt and still have sweetness of spirit and stay on mission. But you have to decide 
am I really going to follow Jesus? If we take our Bibles and look at Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 29, here's what it says. Luke 6, 27 through 29. I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And if a person strikes you on the cheek, offer the other. The one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold the tunic. Jesus said in the different places where he said this, there are three things that always come out to me. is when somebody says something bad, this is how you, here's how you follow Jesus. A person hurts you, don't talk bad about them talk good about them you're going to say anything about them say something good so like i i got to tell you as i studied for this and as i prayed and as i studied the word and as i thought about speaking to you you know it's probably no secret to you that our family has great hurts great hurts they weren't it's like if you hurt me it's it's easier for me to forgive if you hurt my children and if you hurt my grandchildren now i'm you know i'm going to have to have god's help now and, and when it comes to this, this was a powerful thing. Are you in a situation where you have like divorce in your family and you have that separation? Probably all of us have been touched by that. And then you have to decide, am I gonna talk bad about those other people? Or am I gonna not talk bad about them? This is so practical, isn't it? If you're a Jesus follower, he says, if they curse you, what do you do? Come on, you guys know your Bible's better than that, right? If they curse you, you... You bless them. They say something bad about you. You say something good to or about them. So that's where you say uh, to that little boy, I am not going to talk bad about your daddy anymore. I'm just not going to do it. Okay, I have to decide every day, am I going to follow Jesus or not? Somebody does something bad to me, am I going to figure out a way to do something good for them? Well, are you going to follow Jesus or not? That's what we're talking about. Are you a believer? Are you really not a believer? You can't say, I'm a believer, but I just don't do the stuff Jesus says. Like, what kind of believer is that? What do you call that? I'm yelling, I'm sorry. What do you call that? Call that a, I love you. I love you a bunch. A hypocrite. A person like that would be a hypocrite, right? Hey, I'm a Jesus follower. I just don't do anything he says. Seriously? It doesn't work like that. You're giving him a bad name. Yeah, so we can't. So we love the enemy. We voluntarily invest in the offender. This is the Jesus way. Jesus was like giving to the people who were killing him. He was investing in them. And he, and he gave us this curriculum. Here's how you do it. He gave us this marching orders. You do it by this. If they say, they say bad things, you say good things to or about them. You bless them. You know, they might say something evil to you. You might say, God, I just pray for them that they would see life your way, that they would come to repentance, that they would be really close to you, that they would have your blessing on their life, that they would, the rest of their life, they would turn around and walk with you and live for you and love you with all their heart, and we could be friends. Pray, pray a blessing. Or you do something good, and then the Bible says, you know, sometimes it's just over the top, and they're persecuting you, and what does he say to do then? When somebody really turns up the heat and really continually pursues you to persecute you, what does Jesus say to do then? If they continually persecute you, well, he says, pray for them. So, so here it is, just this little simple thing that Jesus, Jesus' power of his teaching was its simplicity, right? So he says, if they say something bad, you say something good. Curse, bless. If they do something bad, you do something good. If they really pour it on, you put them on your prayer list. You pray. Now, this is the greatest thing you can do for somebody is to genuinely pray for God's best. You pray for God's best. This is what Jesus is saying. So you bless your offender 
by having a genuine desire to see good come to him. God's best. Bless him with repentance. Bless him with restoration. Bless him with honor. Discern qualities of character that he's lacking and pray for those qualities. And here's the cool thing about this. When somebody hurts you real bad, it comes up in your mind a lot. Am I right? So now you have all those reminders to pray. And so instead of just pushing that person out of your life forever, you just say, Lord, thank you that this person is coming to my life to afflict me because it's made me a powerful prayer warrior. I'm praying all the time. Pray for them. And that, see what happens then? Instead of it poisoning you, you don't become that hardened, bitter, hateful poison. Instead, you be, you're that sweet person. And, and so I'm going to say this. I'm going to try to move away from the personal. It's so hard not to think of this personally, but you know, my daughter was, one of my daughters was, was, was uh, harmed, and, and then we were harmed, and then we were harmed on top of harm, and like, oh my goodness, it was so wrong. And here's what she said to me one day. She said to me, Dad, I feel really bad about this whole thing happening. I go, why? She goes, because it's the first time I've ever seen you hate somebody. And when she told me that, I thought, oh no. I just went off the Jesus way and she saw me do it. And I asked God, please don't let me be that man that's characterized by hatred when I was going to dedicate my life to loving people. So I don't have a choice. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I have to follow Jesus. And I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to forgive my enemies. And I'm going to bless those who curse me. I'm going to do good to those who do evil to me. I'm going to pray for those who despitefully use me and persecute me. I'm going to do it hundreds and hundreds of times if I have to. Because that's what Jesus said. Peter, in Matthew 18, goes to Jesus and says, if my enemy offends me and he asks forgiveness, how many times do I have to forgive him? And Jesus' answer was hundreds and hundreds of times. Like over and over, just never quit doing it. Some of you wives are sitting there right now and you're going, sure, the dude asked forgiveness, but he's just going to do it again. Then what are you going to do? Well, you're going to decide if you're going to follow Jesus what you're going to do. Because if you decide you're not going to follow Jesus, you don't have to forgive him anymore. Just be a bitter old hag. Sorry, I'm, I love you. Just being mean today. Got a mean streak in me. What's wrong with me? But you don't want that, right? You don't want to be that way. You want to have... You know, you, your, your makeup isn't going to keep you looking 17, sister. Right, am I right? I know I, I don't look so handsome myself. I know. So, like, I'm developing a really charming personality because my good looks are going away really fast. Fast is my goodwill with you today. And, and so I need to decide. No, no, I am going to follow Jesus. I am going to have the beauty of Jesus. I put, I put cologne on today. But have you noticed that Lois? Lois buys me cologne. I never wear cologne. And, I, and she buys it for me. She, like, she's probably trying to tell me, you, you, you stink, you know. But, but so she buys the cologne, and I lined this cologne up on my dress, and I never use it. I never use it. I'm waiting for you to ask, Lois. You haven't done this. So recently I've been wearing uh, cologne or, you know, aftershave, whatever. You're like, I don't even need to know about this. And I'm getting to a point. <laughs> You never, I was waiting for you to ask me why because you're always asking about everything. I was going to say, how, I was waiting for you to go, how come you're doing that? So now I'm going to tell you. I, I thought, here would be a good thing. I want the fragrance of Jesus to be on me every day. And this, every time I put that, I'm like, I want to smell like Jesus. 
I want the fragrance of the Lord to be on me. I want to be a pleasant man to be around. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be hateful. I want to be the Jesus guy. If I don't have arms and legs, I want to be the Jesus guy. If I lose the one dearest to me in life, if God asks me to come home early, I still want to die with his praise on my lips. I want to really follow him. Do you? I want to really follow him. I want to really be a Jesus follower. And so I don't let my enemy become my focus. John knew Jesus well. John the apostle knew Jesus so well. And he would go around when he was an old man and he would give the basic Jesus teaching in the simplest way. And he all the time was like, love God and love each other. That was the deal. John had it boiled down. Love God, love each other. And what John taught was something very profound. And that is, you know, if you have someone in your life that you're hating on, you're not loving Jesus at the same time. Because a person can only have one emotional focus at a time. So if I decide I'm going to hate somebody, I, I can't love Jesus right then. And that would be sad. Now I become like the person that I have an emotional focus on. Have you noticed this is true? You become like the person that you emotionally focus on. You may not do the exact same things that they do, but you'll be characterized by the same spirit. So if the person who hurt you must be a bad person or had done bad things, and then you focus on that hurt all the time, then you're taking your one emotional focus that you have, and you're using that to focus on something you'll become like. But that's why John said it this way, if anyone says, I love God, but he hates his brother, he's a liar, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God, whom he has not seen. I will not let somebody be my God who hurt me, my idol, my emotional focus. I will not let myself become like them. I will focus my heart on God in love, and I'll be a sweet-smelling old guy like when I get old. And then release uh, God from your expectations of ease. Don't look for a life of ease. You know, we, t we, we tend to have an expectation from God that he just owes us a good life and, and an easy life. And it's like an uh, illustration I heard one day about a guy that was in his house and a neighbor comes by, knocks on the door, and he says, hey, how you doing? It's fine. He goes, just want to give you $100 today. Gave him $100. Don't you're thinking, I need a neighbor like that. And the next day, the guy comes by again, knocks on the door, gives him $100. Did it 30 days in a row. On the 31st day, here he comes down the street, passes that guy's house, goes to the next house, knocks on the door, gives $100 to the neighbor. On the way back by the house, the guy throws his door open and goes, hey, what's going on? Where's my money? <laughs> You're laughing, but we do that to God. How many beautiful sunny days has he given us? How many healthy days has he given us? How many gifts has he poured out about? The moment that we don't have a sunny day, we're out there, hey, where's my sunny day, God? Why are you letting me go through trouble? How come I have an enemy? Jesus is like, excuse me, but I had a few. What it shows when we're bitter is that, we're, that we have a, this worldly values. It's kind of a greed. It's kind of an evil eye. It's an expectation. We should release God from it. Third thing, so, so we, am I helping? All right. Third thing is take mercy seriously. It's spiritual warfare. Take it seriously. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta keep cranking here. But this is serious business. Um, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, remember what we said? If you don't let the sun down, go down upon your wrath, because if you leave those relationships unresolved, you're doing what? You're giving a place to the devil. You're literally, like I literally, I have not seen demonic 
uh, exhibitions like you see in movies or you read about from the mission field. I haven't seen people's heads spin around or women talking men's voices or stuff like that. Here's what I have seen a lot. I've seen people who got their feelings hurt and who didn't forgive or didn't ask forgiveness and the work of God and the family and the church and the, the Christian testimony in the workplace is just destroyed because of it and Satan loves that. I've seen actual oppression in marriages and in families, demonic oppression that way. This is serious. This was what Jesus was saying when he told, when he answered Peter, said, how many times do I forgive him? And he said, 70 times seven. Remember, hundreds and hundreds of times. And then after that, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of the, the two debtors. Remember that? And the one owed a lot and he was forgiven. And then he went, went out and he, the one that owed a little, he uh, choked him. And he said, if you don't forgive from your heart, you'll be thrown in a prison where there are torturers. And some Bible scholars believe because of that word there in Matthew 18, tortures. It's not just a jailer, but Jesus is saying, if you have a bitter spirit, you are opening yourself to demonic oppression. I believe that. This is serious stuff. You cannot say, I'm a Jesus follower, but I don't forgive. And you should not say, I'm a Jesus follower, and don't forgive, lest you open yourself up to all kinds of darkness. Someone said, bitterness is like a dark, dank, dangerous, damp prison where you get tortured every day and you can never get out. A sister in our church who has the sweetness of the Lord on her gave me permission to tell you her story. Uh, uh, Lynn Lehman, she said, there, years ago, she had a deep, deep hurt. And, and, and it was really crushing her. Now, I don't know if you know her very well. I've only known her a couple years. She just seems like a very precious saint, a sweet Christian lady. So in my study the other day, we were just talking. She didn't even know it, but she was instructing me deeply when she was telling me about this story. So I got permission to share it with you. She said, I was struggling. Boy, I was struggling. I was hurt deeply. I couldn't get over the anger, the resentment, the, the unforgiveness. I was coming home from town and I was just beating the steering wheel. I was yelling, I can't take it anymore. I can't carry this. God help me, she said. But right then, she said, she was listening to Chuck Swindoll in, on the radio and he was talking about Abraham's willingness to surrender his son on the altar. And so she says to God, she says, God, what do you want me to put on the altar? And so God began to work on her heart. She decided that she'd go out back. There was a spot. She said, the following day, there was a grassy knoll far behind my house. She says, I took a pen and notebook with me and I sat down in the grass to do business with God. I took it seriously. I needed to surrender my anger, my resentment, my unforgiving spirit to the only one who can sweep the slate clean. Listen to this. She wrote, asking God to reveal everything I needed to be cleansed in my soul, I began to list every item that came to my mind. Those things that had cut so deeply in my heart and caused the pain, which ultimately led to my sin of anger and unforgiveness. I so wanted every corner of that closet to be exposed and cleaned out. I would lie back in the grass and I would look up in the heavens and I would say, God, is there anything else? And then I would write it down again and again and I was certain that the list was exhausted. She said, finally, I was stunned to realize there were 24 specific items to be addressed. She said she turned them over to God she said, I crumpled the list instinctively, threw it to the ground like a poisonous snake. snake. And then she said, then I built an altar. <laughs> I took some stones, I piled them up, I put the, the crumpled ball on top, and I lit it on fire. And as the flames consumed my list of grievances, my heart was cleansed of all that had weighed me down. And I was free, and I had peace. And then she says this, 
She says, it's not like I never remembered those things again, but the pain was taken out of them. If you know her, you know, here's a sweet sister, a sweet, precious sister. It's not because she was never hurt. It's because she took her hurts to God. And it says, and she writes this, I don't say the thoughts and the hurt and the pain directed at me never surfaced. They did and still do on occasion. The difference is, Today, these thoughts don't consume me and they don't control me. Like when she was telling me that, I'm like, oh, we need to quit this meeting so you can go home. I am under such conviction. Lord, I don't want to be that hard-nosed guy, right? That, that, that crabby, hateful, characterized by... I want to be characterized by the mission of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and he's given me opportunity to do it. And now, here, trust God. You say, well, they, my enemies need to pay for what they did. Yeah, and if they do need to pay for what they did, they will. But you want to pray they don't. You want to pray they get mercy like you get mercy. But the Bible says there in Romans 12 and in Leviticus and lots of other places, he says, don't take vengeance because Jesus, God says what? Nobody's ever going to take vengeance. No, that's not what he says. What did he say? Yeah, you guys know that Bible verse. <laughs> That's kind of cute. The one about the love you guys didn't know, but that one you all like, we need to work on this. Uh, oh, that, and that was, uh, I set you up. I, I'm kidding. So yeah, vengeance is, my, vengeance is mine. So God is really good at punishing sin. He punished his son Jesus thoroughly for our sin. So I don't have to pay for my sin. I can forgive. Okay, so that's why he said don't repay evil for evil and then the final one fifth Here, here's an idea read the psalms and you'll clearly see that oh, that's not on there hold on before we talk about that read the psalms and you will clearly see that god is able to take vengeance so if you're hurting this helps me a ton take the psalms and they will seem like they're written to you if somebody hurts you go to the psalms and just read the psalms and you'll be like wow Last night, Lois and Hope and I went for ice cream. We do this yeah, a lot. Um, and we went for ice cream, just driving out through the countryside and listening to a song on repeat. It was such an anointed song. And we just listened to this song over and over again. And Lois said, why don't you look her up on YouTube and get the story behind the song? I looked it up. Dottie Rambo wrote the song. And you know what it was a song? She said she had somebody betray her and hurt her. And she's walking along the beach and she decided that she was going to give that to God. And he healed her heart, and she wrote that song. And it was anointed. Now, go to the Psalms and read the songs of God when you want to take vengeance and realize he's going to take care of that. He'll either punish them or he'll put their punishment on his son where your punishment was put. Now this, trust God to judge and meet out vengeance if needed. And then let's go to five. Thank you. And then see the ones that hurt you as God's agents. This is like really huge. Mind if I go into overtime? Okay, so this is really huge. Um, you guys that didn't say a word. At that point, you're supposed to like clap, like yes, amen. All right, so see the ones who hurt you. We need to work on you people. So yeah, uh, see the ones who hurt you. This, we'll, we'll do this quick. This is so important. I can't stop without it. See the ones who hurt you as agents of God. This is just a kind of way of saying God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. If you let something bad happen to you, he's going to beautifully use evil to do good. That's what he does. Now, the scriptures, this is all over the Bible. God is working through your enemies to accomplish his good purposes. This is even true of the demons that tortured Jesus to death. They didn't know what they were doing. This is what the Bible says. None of the rulers of this age, this is a reference to demonic spirits, 
if they understood this, for if they would have understood this, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Demons didn't know what the evil that they were doing, that God was going to take it and change it to the greatest good that ever happened. And when you have somebody do something evil against you, you want to look at that person as God's agent doing good in your life. Say, okay, God, what are you doing good? What are you teaching me? Where are we going with this? I know you're using this great evil. Joseph understood that. Remember in Genesis 50, 20, after his brothers came back and they kind of lied to him, they asked forgiveness, and he said, oh, you meant it for evil, but what? You know that one too. God meant it for good. This is what the Bible teaches, that God can take evil and he can make it good. I like to say, when something bad happens to you, God is doing something good. When something bitter happens to you, God is doing something sweet. This, I would even be here preaching to you if this wasn't true in my own life. Job understood that. He said, naked did I come from my mother's room. God, and he said, God has given and God has taken away. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Now, wait a minute. Who took it away? Satan was opening him up, to, but Job just said, well, I'm just seeing it as coming from God. So you see what I'm saying? David understood this. Shimei curses him, kicks dust on him. He's the king. He's got like killer guys with him. I think that'd be kind of cool. And then, and then you they go, hey, you want us to kill him? And David's like, mm, no, let's not kill him right now because I think maybe God had him curse me. Does God have people curse him? What did he mean? He meant God is using this evil for a good thing. That story ends really cool. If you like a good story, you should read that in the Bible. It ends really cool. It ends a long time later after David dies and he turns over to Solomon. Shimei gets what he, he has coming. But anyway, he's, and David says this. David understood. This is what great men and women understand. Evil is at work in the world, but God is at work in the evil. Huh. What is it? Luther said, he's a devil, but he's God's devil. Yeah, figure that out, right? And then Paul said, we, he said this. Have you ever heard this verse before? We know that all things work together for good. To those who love God, who are called according to his purpose to conform us to the image of the Son, if you will. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, no way. No way, no way. I, I like it, but you don't understand the hurt I've been through. You don't understand how, hurt, how much I got hurt, how bad I got hurt, how wrong it was. No, I don't. I don't understand your hurt. There is one who does, though. His name is Jesus, and he was hurt. And he was hurt without sin. On the cross, he died. Hurt without sin, he gives us his righteousness, gives us his spirit, so that we can do what we could never do before. And here's what Jesus said while he was dying. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And while they're casting lots to divide his garments, he was saying, forgive them. There was a little boy, his name was Stevie, and he loved his daddy. He was named after his daddy. His dad's name was Steve, Steve DeVries. And his dad was a handsome Michigan state trooper. And little Stevie was five years old one day when his dad said to him, when I'm gone, you're in charge of the house, buddy. You take care of your mom, and you take care of little Lance, your little brother. And Stevie said to his daddy, okay, I'll take care of mom and Lance. Now that day, what he didn't know is his dad was going to pull over a guy who, who his dad didn't know had just robbed a bank and he was armed and in desperation this man shot Stevie's dad and killed him it was so close to the house that he'd been outside he could have heard his dad's murder and that little boy went to his room and he said I'm not going to cry I'm not going to mourn it was years before he mourned I knew Steve really well because Steve was a rascally kid in my youth group when I was a youth pastor over in Niles, Michigan. 
he just grown up into kind of a young, strong young man. He's always kind of pushing back. He's always kind of giving me a little bit of trouble. He's a great kid, but, you know, he's kind of just pushing back. And I wondered if he would turn out okay. Later on, there was a, there was a period of time in his life when he began to realize that he, he was becoming characterized by bitterness. And so Steve decided that he would take that hurt and he would give it to God and he would forgive the, the man who killed his dad. And he got out a letter and he wrote him a letter and sent him a gospel tract and said, I want you to be in heaven when you die. And he prayed for his conversion. I wish you could meet Steve today. He's a fine young man. Well, he's a fine middle-aged man right now. Not too, not too long ago, I was up at Camp Barakel and my son said to me, hey, hey, I want you to know Steve's daughter is at camp this week. So I got to preach to dad, got to preach to his girl. Steve had a job for many years working with troubled youth. Here's what he said, though. He said this. They asked him, like, what's the secret of forgiving somebody such a terrible thing? You know what he said? He says, it's like getting up every morning and looking at your heart like a beautiful garden and realizing that overnight weeds can spring up and I got to go out every day and I got to keep pulling the weeds of bitterness out so that only beautiful things grow in the garden of my heart. Let's stand together. Before we go home, I want to ask you a question. How many of you would, would bow your heads and close your eyes? We have a private moment here. You say, well, I have a hurt in my life. I was thinking about that today. I have a hurt in my life. And I, I'd like you to pray for me that I would be able to forgive like Jesus. Raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Yeah, that's what I thought. Heavenly Father, I pray as we are dismissed today that you would help us to be Jesus' people. Help us to say good things and only good things about those who curse us to do good and only good to those who've done evil to us and to pray for God's best for those who despitefully use us and persecute us say all manner of evil against us help us to rejoice and be exceeding glad because great is our reward in heaven make us Jesus people in our homes and elsewhere we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus we love so much amen come this way if you need help, they'll be here to people to pray for you. God bless you. Cry.